It's episode 675 of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. And guess what? Gravel Cycling now has rules. Let's cue that intro. Welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast. My name is Anthony Walsh. Six days a week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you on your journey towards health, happiness, and longevity. Now let's get into the show. Roadman, welcome back. Gravel cycling has rules. Hell has frozen over. What has happened? I want to jump into all that, but before I do, I'm incredibly excited to make probably the biggest partnership announcement we've had since we started the Roadman Cycling Podcast, and definitely a milestone I'm going to mark and celebrate. I'm really excited to announce that What Bike are joining the Roadman Cycling Podcast as a long-term sponsor. You all know I'm a huge fan of Watt Bike, and I've been using them for as far back as when I was in university in law school. I was working in ExtraVision, the video shop rental place at the time. Remember renting videos was a thing? I did my time on the old turbo trainer. It was absolutely heartbreaking, I promise you. But as soon as I could afford it and I pieced together those pennies from working in ExtraVision, I upgraded to a Watt bike. And I firmly believe this was the tool that allowed my rapid progression through those college years. As you know, I have some really big events planned for this summer. It's an ambitious schedule with lots of gravel races, the Rift, Migration Gravel Race out in Kenya, which I can't wait for going back to Badlands in Spain because I have unfinished business. So I'm planning on doing a pretty full road racing schedule on top of that. And the Watt Bike Adam, it's going to be a key tool to get me to the level I need to be to tackle these adventures and make it home in one piece. If you don't know much about Watt Bike yet, they're at the forefront of power measurement in cycling. The first Watt Bike was made back in 2008. This was the start of that marginal gains movement where athletes and coaches were looking for fine margins to improve performance and what bike are still used to identify the next generation of those Olympic champions. Now, obviously, I'm not pushing for Olympic medals. It's not a focus. I'm not chasing pro contracts anymore, but I am going to be using my what bike, Adam, to reach those goals this year, Kenya, Rift, Badlands. I've committed to doing this podcast six days a week, and that's an ambitious schedule. Plus, I've so many expansion plans for the podcast in behind the scenes. So being able to jump on that what bike with zero setup, zero connection issues, that's really important to me. While turbo trainers, they have a place and they have a purpose and they can serve you well, the friction of connection and setup it just breaks my heart. If I have a one-hour session, I don't want to spend 10 minutes setting up my turbo trainer. The Watt Bike Adam, it gives me zero excuses every time. If you'd like to see how that Watt Bike Adam can kickstart your fitness goals, head on over to wattbike.com. So with that amazing announcement, I've such a smile on my face out of the way. Let's jump in and talk about rules in gravel. Such an oxymoron, isn't it? Rules in gravel, like freshly frozen. Is it fresh or is it frozen? It can't be both. Rules in gravel. With pretty much all the biggest gravel races in the world being non-UCI, there's kind of a governance void. Gravel operated under a set of vague and often hotly debated philosophies like don't be a dick and dispirited gravel, highly nebulous concepts. Ex-highly respected professionals, actually all lads I've had on this podcast, guys like Ted King, Ian Boswell, Pete Stedner, Lawrence Tendam, they became that de facto gatekeepers for the purity of the sport. But as with anything where there are incentives, and make no mistake, there are incentives to perform in gravel, like the prize money at the Lifetime Grand Prix series, which we profiled a few weeks back, $250,000 was sp- split across the men's and women's category. 
Plus, you also have contracts, brand deals, endorsement. Gravel is big business these days, make no mistake about it. And where there are financial incentives, there's going to be innovation and there's going to be that creeping professionalism. We've seen Alex Howes and Lachlan Morton coming in EF education kit and they said, we're not here to spoil Gravel, we're here to take part. But with them came immediate attention, with them came a focus and with them, more and more World Tour guys started to gravitate across. Then the ad dollars followed and now this is where we find ourselves in this push and pull between the gatekeepers like Pete Stetna, that are the purists, that have kicked off this sort of gravel scene and popularised it. So they're pushing on one side, and then we have new guys coming in who just want that cash, who want to build names for themselves, who are hungry, and we've this, you know, like two stones rubbing together, and that spark, and that spark flew a couple of times this year, notably at Unbound, where there were really heated debates about the use of arrow bars. The upshot was Pete Stetna sending out an email, I think it was the night before the race, to the top riders and asking everyone not to use aero bars. Now, I managed to get a copy of that email. Someone forwarded it on to me. And it is, you know, it's an attempt to solidify the riders and make them all have one opinion. And it's difficult because people are coming from different perspectives. Pete, you know, a guy I've had on the podcast so many times and I've a lot of time for Pete. He's a really good guy, but he's coming from a place where he has had world tour contracts. He's built himself a brand and you have these other up and coming kids who they want to do anything to get what he has. So some writers listened to the advice inside in the email Others didn't listen, and we has this hodgepodge on race day of some riders turning up with aero bars, others turning up without aero bars. Lawrence Tendam got fed up of all that, and he just sent it from the front group, like 200 kilometers remaining. The idea being afterwards to just let the legs do the talk, and he was sick of this debate. Is there aero bars? Is there not aero bars? But this week, gravel, that's right, the actual surface has come alive. Gravel has spoken. Gravel has morphed into an authority and it has stepped up and it has imposed a set of rules on gravel for the first time. So it's actually the organisers of Unbound. And Unbound, if you don't know, it's like the World Championships of Gravel rolled into the Tour de France all in one. The gravel icons do battle in canvas each year, but these unbound organizers, they have imposed some rules. So the rule reads, no aero bars, bar extensions, or clip-on attachments of any kind will be permitted. I would say that the argument for not using aero bars, I'm not entirely against this ruling. The argument for not using aero bars, it's the same reason I wouldn't want somebody uh, coming out on our Saturday group spin with aero bars on at the weekend. Aero bars are dangerous in a group road setting, but there's way more risk involved in a gravel setting. So I can see why they want to ban these. The only people I would say who are lightly proficient at handling aero bars in a group gravel setting are elite bike riders and professional bike riders. But hold on a second, they've only banned it for elite riders and professional riders. So this makes absolutely zero sense to me because the only lens I looked at this through was a safety lens. So you're saying that Ian Boswell, Pete Stetna, Lawrence Tendam, they're not allowed to use aero bars. But if we bring it back down and your average Joe and Jane in the non-elite, non-professional ranks, they can use aero bars, even though they're less experienced. They're still riding in a group setting. They have less skills and they're a lot more likely to do themselves injury. Very, very odd. I can't make head nor tail of that. The only pushback I can consider is 
a non-elite is going to be out on course for a lot longer and they're looking to give themselves more arm positions to combat the fatigue but it just doesn't outweigh the safety concerns for me so it's either aero bars are allowed for everyone or they're banned for everyone i don't see this artificial distinction and if you are going to draw that artificial distinction you surely say they're allowed for elites and not allowed for non-elites the next rule it's elite pro men have a separate start time and elite pro women will be starting two minutes behind the men i don't love this either this is a second rule that i don't love the draw of a lot of mass participation races is being in the same race as Lachlan Morton, Ian Boswell, Nathan Haas. Like I rolled out in Rift this year, literally shoulder to shoulder with Nathan Haas. We were banging elbows into the first corner. I wasn't there after 200 odd kilometers with him, but I was there for the first 10 kilometers and it was cool. And I got a cool story from being up front. Now, depending on your fitness level, you can hang on a little longer. You get to chat with Lachlan 100k in. How cool is that? Like maybe the wheels will come off and you'll totally pay for it later. You blow your lights, but you're going to have a cool story to tell your friends down the pub. That should be your choice. Pacing, it should be your choice. If you want to go out hard and hang with the elites and blow your lights and suffer all the way home, have at it. Do it. It wouldn't be for me anymore. It's not my pacing strategy. But if it's your pacing strategy, have at it. This separation of elite men and elite women from the rest of the field, I don't like it. You don't get to do a road race and line up beside Tajay Pogacar with Vindegaard. But we get to do that on gravel. And that's what makes it cool. That's what makes it inclusive. It's not an us versus them. We're all in it together. I really don't like that separation. And also, who gets the elite start? What qualifies as elite? You don't need a license to ride gravel. So we can't say it's cat ones because there's no cat one. We can't say it's pros because all you need to do is self-designate a pro tongue-in-cheek last year i was saying i'm a gravel pro am i can you self-declare you're a gravel pro like what's the application process for this i don't like that at all what i do like is i do like the women having a separate start time to the guys because previously it was a case of which woman could hang on to the lads for how long and that normally determined the victor now it's a very different rider and a different skill set being able to hang on And to make separation at the front of the race. Like physiologically these are different engine types. Like a high threshold will allow you to sit in the wheels and hang on for a long time. It's hard to ride someone off your wheel if they have a high threshold. But that same rider may not be able to get separation at the front of the race to get away from her peers. She needs a high VO2 max to make that separation. So it's a very different type of rider can hang on and win races outright themselves. So I think we're going to see some different women emerging at the very front of these races with different physiological capabilities tactically it does pose a little bit of a you know a little bit of a problem because i'm thinking it's a two minute gap it's not like the lads start out like they're in a criterium it is a bridgeable gap do some of the girls elect to go full gas off the line to try and close that two minute gap and then sit with the guys for as long as they can or we're starting to see more trade teams like people that are sponsored by specialized so do you as a specialized trade team do you have an athlete in the men's race up the road and you say to him your job today is to drop back and you're going to tow one of the girls across the two minute lead or you're with her for the day it's a i don't know the spirit of gravel is going to be tested pretty pretty far with some of these new rules It's exciting and I think it's inevitable. As I say, once the money comes in, once the incentives come in, 
envelopes are going to get pushed you're going to have professionalism creeping into all aspects of gravel and then at some point you're going to have everyone from gravel that was initially there and thought it was cool migrating to something totally new what's that new thing i don't know maybe we'll race on ice you know whatever it is i'm pumped for it but for now gravel it's fresh it's exciting it still has a lot to offer for me it's still a much better alternative than the road at the moment especially with the cars versus drivers debate which is fiercely raging in some quarters still and there seems to be close passes are as bad as ever out on the road so this is why i elect to ride my gravel bike an awful lot of the time road man thanks for joining me today on what i don't want to overemphasize but what is a really historic episode for the Roadman cycling podcast episode 675 is going to be one we're going to look back on and say this was the beginning of our long-term partnership with what bike massive thanks to what bike for being involved and for supporting the podcast and ensuring its viability into the future road men have a great day ride safe and i'm going to chat to you again tomorrow